Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. All right, we're back with another episode of The Stacks with me, Tracy Thomas, your host. Today, we've brought back author and podcaster Ben Blacker for The Stacks Book Club. We'll be discussing The World Only Spins Forward by Isaac Butler and Dan Coyce, which is an oral history of Tony Kushner's play, Angels in America. You can hear more about this book on The Short Stacks when we interviewed Isaac Butler a few weeks back. More on the book later, but first, just a reminder to get your book recommendations from The Stacks. We've got a new segment called Ask The Stacks. You send us an email with what you're looking for in a book, maybe a few books you've liked or disliked, and then we'll give you personalized book recommendations on the air. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com. If you like the show and want to support the work we're doing, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Patreon allows for people like me to make podcasts like this with the help of people like you. It's easy and you earn perks like our virtual book club and priority for Ask the Stacks and more. So to join the Stacks Pack, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Also want to give a shout out to Brianna Avery for being a loyal member of the Stacks Pack. If a monthly contribution doesn't work for you, consider one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach new audiences and book exciting guests. Our most recent review comes from Third Coast Reads. They say, The Stacks is by far my favorite podcast. I tune in every week to hear the latest episodes. The content is great, and I enjoy listening to the social commentary between Tracy and the guests. My favorite episode is the one discussing Between the World and Me. Third Coast Reads... That episode is always brought up as people's favorite. Jay Connor was such an amazing guest. Um, If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and check it out. Also on our website to celebrate our one-year anniversary, I put together the Stack Superlatives, which were a bunch of episodes that I thought were fun and awesome. So if you want to check that out for other great episodes, go to thestackspodcast.com. Okay, let's dive into our conversation with Ben Blacker about The World Only Spins Forward. And don't worry, no spoilers today. So you can listen and enjoy. All right, you guys, we're back with the Stacks Book Club. Today, our guest is again, the wonderful Ben Blacker. We're talking about The World Only Spins Forward, which is the oral history of the play Angels in America by Tony Kushner. And the book was written by Dan Coyce and Isaac Butler. And um, Ben, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. 
I'm just going to say it right now. There aren't going to be really spoilers this week because it's kind of hard to spoil a thing that's about a thing that ex- yeah. existed since 1991, <laughs> allegedly. Um, but and so, that it's an oral history. Yeah, is like there's no, there's not even prose style to right, talk about. Exactly. So there's nothing to spoil. We're talking about a piece of art from the early 80s or We're mid 80s. About a piece of art about a piece of about art. About a piece of art. Exactly. Correct. So listen if you want. Enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, you Listen, know, so- if you leave now, at least follow us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, follow- yeah, at the sag spot underscore. Um, so here's the deal. I don't really know how to talk about this book, yeah. which I think is fair to say um, because it's an oral history about a thing. It's a thing about a thing and it covers so much. Mm-hmm. And so. And yet I found it didn't cover enough, which we can get into. Which I definitely want to get into. So let's just start with what did you think of the book? I... As I mentioned uh, on our previous episode, I was pretty unfamiliar with Angels in America. Right. Um, I'm not a big theater person. I actually avoided the theater until seeing Hamilton because my wife saw it and went crazy. And then my friend was like, just fucking go. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of people doing the best work, like a bunch of people at the top of their games in every aspect doing this thing. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll go. Oh, this is what theater is. Right. right. And it feels like Angels in America had that same effect 20 years before. Yeah. Um, So I didn't really know. I thought it was a musical. Okay. Um, I didn't understand the scope of it. Yeah. I knew it was about AIDS and Mm -hmm. I knew it was about bureaucracy. I didn't know it was about bureaucracy of angels. Right. Um, So for me, there was a lot of catching up to do in reading the book. I've read a handful of oral histories um, and I think they're kind of hit or miss. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm, I'm curious to hear your interview with the author because I don't know how these books are put together to form a cohesive story. Right. And I think this is not a great oral history, Okay, but I think there's so much good stuff in it that it's worth reading anyway. All right. I want to know, what you what about this book you think is not great as far as an oral history and i'm asking that because i don't know a ton about oral histories Mm -hmm. the two oral histories that i've read are both long-form articles they were on Mm -hmm. um grantland do you Mm -hmm. remember that website it was like Mm -hmm. a sports website bill simmons now it's called the ringer and it's not anyways but they did one on the 1989 earthquake um during the world series and it was great that's cool And then they did one on the malice at the palace, the fight in basketball between the Pacers and the Pistons. Mm -hmm. Also great, but short, like not, they didn't have to cover a ton. I mean, they could have covered way more, um, which to your point, I think is maybe true a lot in oral histories. It's like you, there's kind of more because people bring up things and then it's like, oh, could you go off on a tangent about the building of the Golden Gate Bridge or like, you know, so I feel like I don't necessarily know what makes an oral history great. I don't, I don't know that I do either. I know (laughs) the best one I've read was that oral history of Saturday Night Live that came out. Is that like these guys have all the fun or something? Oh no, that was the ESPN one. Yeah, that's right. Um, Um, No, this was, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Live from New York. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, that sounds right. But they basically had everybody who was ever involved with the show, um, in kind of every aspect too, Mm -hmm. like a lot of the technical stuff. And you had 30 years, almost 40 years of show to talk about. So you knew they were going to hit certain things, but you also got these sort of recurring themes that I think the authors were really good about setting up and paying off. Okay. And in this Angels in America book, which 
I can never remember the title. The world only spins forward. Sure, that rolls off the tongue. It's a line from the play. I assume. Yeah. In this book, I don't feel like there was a narrative arc to it. Okay. I feel like there's great behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. What I didn't get, which is the thing I really wanted, was more Tony Kushner. Yeah. I wanted to know about the writing of this play and the stuff about how he actually wrote the play is like, Five pages. Right. Uh, towards the beginning. I thought there was one great bit where it talks about how long it was. <laughs> right. And he was like, they gave him, like his contract said, it can only be this long. Right. And then the first act was twice that right. or something. Right. And he was like, oops, I'm yeah. going to make it two plays. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I love that. Tony Kushner's great. He's notorious. So I have a theater background. I mm. went to theater school. I love the theater. I, a lot of the people in this book have been people that I've looked to like legends of the theater, like Oscar Eustace when I was in college was running the public at New York. Oh, sure. New York. So he's actually, I think who brought Hamilton That's to cool. the public yeah. and George C. Wolf mm-hmm. is, he's a really well-known theater director. He directed the Broadway production. Um, so seeing a lot of those names like in the book and like Tony Kushner, who's famous for going off on tangents and like famous for always way more you ask him like how was your day and it's like a full spin out but i didn't get that in the book really that's what i wanted i wanted him to really dig into his own creative process where he really felt like an outsider in this yeah so much of it was about the various productions of the play which more than anything this book made me want to see every version of this play (laughs) yeah the truth is so i've never actually seen a live performance of Mm -hmm. angels i've seen the movie only the first one i've never seen perestroika performed oh really and i realized i'd never read perestroika oh wow so i knew the first play in college like everyone does scenes from it the Mm -hmm. eyeburn dinner scene is like super famous with harper and joe and like everyone does that and then the scene they talked a lot about in the book the lewis and belize scene like the racist Mm -hmm. scene Everyone does that. Every like every almost kind of Jewish looking guy at NYU wants to perform that scene. It's like, hi, me town. Hi, me town. Anyways, so I knew a lot of the scenes, but I'd never read the full play. So after I finished the book, I went and I read the full play. Mm-hmm. But you knew. I knew the story. I knew it. how it yeah. started. I knew the middle. I Like I knew it. It was not new information to yeah. me, but actually reading all the words in the play was new for me, yeah. which was I maybe did it backwards. Like maybe you should read the play first. Did know. you ever read the play? I never read you the didn't play. Read it. Okay. Um, it really made me want to read it mm-hmm. because it seems like an incredible document. It's incredible. Um, I did concurrent to reading the book. I watched the HBO series. Okay. Uh, so I, which was really helpful. Yeah. Um, but even like, I think the stuff the scenes that they sort of dig in on and tell stories about in the oral history, they do a good job setting up what that is. Like I, I read about that uh, Belize scene mm-hmm. before getting to it in yes. the movie, and but and I and I sort of knew what they were talking about. Like yeah. it, it was plenty. Um, I don't. I think the the miniseries is fine. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great actors. Justin Kirk is awesome. Justin in it. Kirk is so great. Yeah, um, I think they're all so good. Actually. They're all really good. Um, who played Ben Shankman? No, who plays Lewis? I don't know his name. I can't remember. I think it's Ben Shankman. That sounds maybe right. something like that. Yeah, he's great. It's all, I mean Meryl Streep, Al Pacino, like bye, of course. But here's the thing. Yeah. When I turned it on and Meryl Streep was this rabbi. Rabbi. It's a little weird. It's a little. So the thing that the movie loses that the play has is the magic. You can be mm-hmm. a man on stage as a woman being yeah. a ridiculous caricature and that totally works on stage. Yeah. Like having an angel fly in from the ceiling or whatever, that's like actually really cool on yeah. stage. In the movie, it's like, 
uh like they still do a great right. job it's, but, but it's, it's like movie this is magic. a movie We've seen yeah this exactly so like the play is such like when i was reading it i was like oh my god i would die to see this scene mm-hmm. like they're naked people on stage. Like that's really visceral in the theater. Yeah. Like to see a naked body in the theater is not that common. Sure. Like maybe you get butt cheeks, but like full <laughs> if frontal. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky, like someone's <laughs> changing, you know, like take me out as that musical with baseball players. And I think there's butt cheeks in that. So check it out. It's not everybody. a musical. I think it's a play. I think it won um, the pull. I think you think of Damn Yankees. No, no. Damn Yankees is a musical. Where it's all new. Take me out. <laughs> Damn Yankees is actually a burlesque show about baseball players. Um, but I, and I think the, like when they sort of dig in on all of those, um, what, what was Justin Kirk's character's name? Pryor. Pryor. Yeah. The Pryor and the angel scenes. Yeah. When they talk about the various versions of that. Oh my God. Yeah. Like it's really, you can tell that that was magic in the theater. Yeah. Um, totally. And that's really impressive and, and like hard to convey in a prose piece. Right. Yeah. So I think that was really well done, but that came down to who was doing the describing of being right. involved with that scene, whether it was the director or the actors or whatever. Right. We kind of talked about last week a little bit about like what is the thing. And we were talking about this in response to your writing, like you and your partner, you were writing a, a movie, I think maybe, mm-hmm. and you had like an idea, mm-hmm. but you didn't really know what the thing was. Yeah. And I think maybe that that's where this book suffers, yes. like that they have the idea and they have the right people and the right conversations, but that there wasn't necessarily a strong, like, why do we yeah. need this book? Which is really interesting for a play that is so much about an idea. Right. right? Or a right. million ideas. But really, it's, it's about this one thing right. for, for Tony Kushner. And I think it was actually reading this book that made me ask that of my partner. Right. Like, what is our <laughs> like, thing? what are we doing right. if we're not writing about something? That's um, true. So, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's what was missing is there was sort of no guiding principle to right. Like aside from like it's the 25 year anniversary right. or like aside That's from. The, yeah. Like why? Why do this? And yeah. like, what are we driving at? I think that some of the stuff towards the end where they talk about how the show has become relevant again, mm-hmm. not that it ever really wasn't relevant, but that it's taken on new relevance, yeah. like where we don't think and this is not this is probably more a comment on society, like that we don't think that the AIDS crisis is really a crisis. It's kind of like the AIDS thing now, mm-hmm. but like that that's no longer what, where this book is super powerful. Now it's like all about the anti-migratory epistle yeah. and the global warming stuff, like all of a sudden is really relevant. And I was super interested in that yeah. conversation. And to see a production that leans on that yeah. stuff would be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but I, and and to the same point, I thought I I thought that stuff at the end was great, and I also thought the first chapter, the first chapter, where it gives you context, so great, which I was so unaware of because mm-hmm. like I was a kid, right, in in the mid eighties, right, and like it's it's all the same as it was like the way that the gay community was treated then was the way that immigrants are treated now, right. and like literally taking away services. Right. Right. Um, or trans people. Yeah. I mean, like it that was, it's still, it's just a new, it's a different group, but it's the same yeah. bullshit. Um, that was really fascinating in that the play came out as a response to that. Um, like he was moved to action by that, to create right. art by that. I thought was really interesting, but I, again, I wanted to dig in on, okay, then what? Yeah. Cause the part between, the context and the play going right. up or doing those first reads was missing for me. I think for me, cause I really liked the book. Like mm-hmm. I thought this was a really good book. I really enjoyed reading it. Obviously I had a lot of the context of the theater part going in. Yeah. And I think that what I would have liked more of was the historical context 
as we move from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Because they kind of had those timelines where they had that stuff. Like it was kind of like on the top was like what's going on in the world and on the bottom is like what's going on with the play mm-hmm. and Tony Kushner. I will say I suffered from reading it on Kindle because of that. Because uh, I couldn't really see that I stuff. I see, yeah. Well, it was great. And <laughs> I would have liked more engaging with those political moments. Yeah. Like as you're doing the production in 2001 and 9-11 happens, like what does that do to the show? Yeah. Or if you're, you know, when you did it in 1996 and, totally. what, you know. So Every I, iteration because right. they were so different. Because they must have leaned on whatever was going on in the world as you do in the theater, just like Shakespeare, mm-hmm. like every Shakespeare play you know, in 2001 was basically a commentary <laughs> on George Bush, right. right? And like now everyone's doing Julius Caesar because of Trump. And like, <laughs> what is that? Obviously, Angels is a little bit, the text is more accessible, slightly more accessible. <laughs> yeah. Well, that uh, that was interesting to me too and made me want to really read it because there are passages from mm-hmm. the play in the book and it is written in this sort of elevated it's language. Super yeah. That is... I don't know. That's really cool. I mean, it's more poetic than it is conversational. And I tend to like the really conversational. Yeah. And I think that's what made like it. It looks and feels like a musical. It's what made me. think. Yeah. Well, they said it was supposed to be. And then at the, like that, that was in the beginning. Me. It was like it's supposed to be an audition. We had to audition and sing. And I was so bad. They were like, we're not going to make no this music, a musical. No music. <laughs> it's fine. We can do it with just words. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to see more about like what is the context of putting this on in this year? Because because every version was so different. Was so there wasn't different. enough about like there was so much about the technical aspects. Mm-hmm. Like how do you make an angel fly? Yeah. Which I also which thought was, was interesting. interesting. Yeah. But it was like I wanted to start a little earlier in the process for each each version it, of it. Right. Play. Like why did we decide to do this play? Yeah. Cause I think that's often a question. Like why would a theater produce a play totally. at that time? Because it's a choice. It's a revival. It's not like, oh, we yeah. commissioned this new work. We need to put it up. That's a good point. Um, so why did they want to do it? Obviously, it makes sense in 1988, 90, 1991 right. why they would do it. But 2016, when right. you put it up in London, it's a right. different story. Totally. The thing that I found really interesting about the play that I think I mean, I could probably talk about this for six years, is that this show was commissioned by the government mm-hmm. because it was part of the National Endowment of the Arts. When In a time when we used to give money to the arts, <laughs> yeah. our government used to do that. And to think that like this crazy, full frontal, gay sex, angels, Mormons, Roy Cohn, like all this like super in your face stuff. Like nothing about this play is subtle, even a little bit. Like Belize is a black gay drag queen, (laughs) ex-drag queen nurse who's administering HIV drugs. Like there's so much in the play, like when you actually break it down to think that like the government used to do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like the, yes, that the government used to do that. And like that, that's how we got this. This wasn't commissioned by some rich theater loving person in New York city. It was like, Tony Kushner was like, I'd like to make this. And the national endowment of the arts was like, okay. Yeah. And that, I th- there was time to do it too. That, there was so much and time space and room to be like, yeah, this is a musical. Actually, it's not actually it's two plays. Yeah. Actually it's eight hours of theater, <laughs> which those back to back, sound amazing performances sound incredible. Incredible. Even like the version, I forget where it was that they talk about where it was like basically a bare stage. Mm-hmm. And they oh, were just that was of, in um, Amsterdam. That yeah, was the Ivana so Ho neat. version. Um, but that's an interesting point. And, and I think even further, like it's incredible that it went on 
to Broadway and before to become this huge success that like it was the Dear Evan Hansen, right? right. It was like people were coming from out of town to see this right. thing, of course. which was so bold and so in your face and so controversial. Right. Um, which where now it feels like, well, here's the Tootsie musical. Right. Which now look, right. I'm going to see. It's but. lovely. <laughs> I love a musical. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. But I think like even more than Dear Evan Hansen or Hamilton or anything like that, that this show not only was it amazing and like people went to see it and came from all over, but that it talked about stuff yeah. that you're not supposed to talk about, especially at a nice evening on Broadway, yeah. you know, like it's not cats, right? Right. Exactly. Like Hamilton is like hip hop cats, like Hamilton's good, but Hamilton is essentially a musical is a musical. It just happens to have a different cast than you're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And like the music is different, but as far as like structure and form, Hamilton is it's might as well be wicked. Yeah. Like it basically follows the exact same plot as wicked. 
or the structure. Wait, is that true? Essentially, you know, you have like not throwing away my shot is like the. I have to see Wicked. Oh, you've not seen Wicked. Anyways, it basically <laughs> breaks down. I don't song see for song. Wicked. Okay, well, I, that's why I'm here. Um, but Angels in America like literally broke the form, mm-hmm. and people say that a lot about things like, oh, this broke the form, which usually is code for like they put other people on stage who aren't normally on stage. That's like usually what that means. But Angels actually was different. Like Structurally, it made no sense. Structurally, like it's a three-act play and then a five-act play, which is also crazy. And there's three inter two intermissions per show Mm -hmm. as per Kushner's decision. All of that is to say that like there was a bravery in the way that the government felt art should be done. Mm And then kind of in the book, they talk about this and I could have read like six chapters on Maplethorpe and Mm -hmm. um, his photography exhibit on BDSM. Is that how you say it? I always get the letters switched around. Anyways, bondage and stuff. Yeah. And how basically the conservative right turned that sort of in-your-face artwork into a condemnation of queer people and people of color and yeah. said, we don't support this as a conservative block. So we do not think the government should support this. And so the government stopped funding art essentially across the board, but even more, it was even bigger hit on queer and people of colors artwork yeah. because it talked about the things that the conservative right felt were taboo. So like this play doesn't get made today. Right. No, that was a turning point in right. The religious right taking over government. Taking over the government and taking over the arts. As if the arts are a place for the religious right or left or religious anything. Like the arts are not a place for fundamental religion. Well, listen. You know? (laughs) It could be. Sure. If you are a religious person and you want to create art about your religion. Go for it. Yes, of course. I'm saying like it's not a place. Right. They're not. Dictate. They're not the arbiter of exactly. art. My God, unless exactly. you're making the Sistine Chapel, and like even <laughs> still, there's like naked bodies there or whatever. But so yeah, the, just I don't know. That was really yeah, like intense for me to realize that. I just assume all pieces of art are funded by the Nederlander Theater Group, right? Like because that's how it is now. Everything's Nederlander. <laughs> right. um, and if you don't know who they are, they're like a big theater family. Anyways, they have all the money. Every Broadway show you love is Nederlander, basically. But this wasn't that. Like, this was yeah. like the government was like, here's a check. Good luck. And we don't care what you make. Just make something. Mm-hmm. We trust that it's going to be good. And we got this. And now I'm sure they would be checking in every day like, oh, can't have nudity. Ooh, too much gay. Like, you need a right. straight white guy. Like, <laughs> you need this. You need and that. And it is really, I mean, and you you see this in this book, the way it affected people and the way it allowed people to be themselves publicly like that's the best argument for government funded art that I've seen. Right. It's again, it's about understanding humans as humans. Right. We talked about this last week and I think it bears repeating. Um, We were talking about it in the context of like gay rights and trans rights and that there's this idea that certain people shouldn't have the same rights as other people. And that's based on their lifestyle. Right. Mm -hmm. So if and this was an idea that you were behind. Me? <laughs> yes. I'm very <laughs> anti-human rights. Um, obviously, as a big reader, I hate humans. Um, but it was like the, the argument has somehow gotten turned around where it's like, I don't believe in what you're doing, so I don't believe you should have the same rights mm-hmm. as me. Instead of being 
do you think that person over there is another human? Yes. Right. Great. We agree. Check they have box. all the rights. Like the, Check yes or yes. Yes. Like it's the, <laughs> the question isn't, do I agree with everything you do, other person? And if I do, then you are considered a human and you should be able to use a bathroom it or you should simple, be able right? to get married or you should be able to adopt children. Like, I don't need, no. The question is, do all humans deserve equal rights? Yes. Great. Is that a human? Oh, it is check. We're done. And I feel like this book kind of drives that point home. And like the play too, like they talk about going on the national tour and how families, people would come up to them and be like, my son's dying. Or I knew a drag queen once, or I knew Roy Cohn. And like that people felt seen in this show that was like really famous, right? Like it's like this great piece of art reflects something that I relate to. But And because it was popular, because it was seen as a work of art, as a great work, then it allowed people to talk about it. Right. Right. Um, And I wonder, something that was not in the book Mm -hmm. that I'm really curious about that you, you may know about is like when you have a successful work like this, there are things that come after that sort of either try to emulate it mm-hmm. or uh, to various degrees of success. Did this change plays and popular theater for a decade after? Content wise or like, well, both that's a, so, like some people do it with content and those are usually less successful, but right. some people sort of take the spirit of what that was, right. which is telling a big honest story. Right. So I think a little bit, my understanding and from what I've seen and I know it's like, I mean, I think there was a section towards the end, those gray sections where they were like Mm. kind of like deep dives on smaller things in the book. And there was one about like playwrights and like Lynn Manuel Miranda, the writer of Hamilton and star. He talks about how like he like people started doubling, like having one actor play two parts and like. Was that that not really done before? Yes and no. Not in such a pointed way. Not in such a, yeah, not in such a deliberate way to my understanding. Also like. Because I thought that was really fascinating it's it's so and it even works in the miniseries too like i'm glad they kept that the doubling is great and like so like in hamilton there's doubling um and it's deliberate and it's deliberate and it makes it's a choice between these two people that this person has that person in them i think also sweeping poetic kind of plays I, they must have always existed but that there's this idea that like you can be sweeping so what was that in the 90s and early 2000s? I'm, like, I'm now I'm like drawing blanks. Um, Take a break. Look it up. Let me think. Oh, I do. I will say something else that the play kind mm-hmm. of inspired, which I'm sure a lot of you would be familiar with, is Rent. Oh, sure. Rent came out in the aftermath of Angels, mm-hmm. which is also I'm sure it was inspired by the moment. It was 1996, right. like, you know, 15 years kind of after AIDS popped up and it became not so much a gay thing anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because AIDS was like a gay thing. Yeah. I think the book forget. does a great job, again, putting that in context yeah. and like hitting home how how much it was seen as a gay thing and how much people feared any anyone gay. Right. And how much like the gay community was suffering. Yeah. they. Ta- I mean, I don't think... I will ever, hopefully I'll never understand fully what it was like in Mm -hmm. 1981 in San Francisco or New York or LA or whatever. But it's like, 
I so after reading this book, I listened to Cleve Jones's um, memoir, mm-hmm. and he started the AIDS quilt, and he was Harvey Milk's kind of like protege, helped oh, him with his that. campaign. Yeah, yeah, he's in the movie Milk. He's played by. Um, oh, I don't see movies. Oh, anyways, well, he's in the movie. If you've seen it, <laughs> well, he's wait, played who's by, he played by Emil Hirsch. Oh, and now I'll see him. Okay, yeah, what a babe. Um, <laughs> but you don't know who Emil Hirsch? He was in the Into the Wild. No, I don't see. All right, well, anyways, anyways. Cleve Jones has a memoir and it's all about his life. And it kind of starts in like the 70s, 60s, 70s. And he goes to San Francisco and he's like young and gay and like turning tricks and like this whole thing in the 70s. And then all of a sudden AIDS happens. And it's like every character essentially that he talked about is dead by the end of the book. Like he talks about you make new groups of friends and they all die. And then you make another new set of friends. And Cleve Jones is HIV positive, but he's still alive. He got Mm. the right drugs, you know, at the right time. And it just, it worked out for him. But like his book and like this book and really the amount of devastation, like that so much art had to come from this, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. And then there's like the normal heart, I think came out Mm -hmm. right before like that was around. And then also um, Randy Schultz wrote the book and the band played on. So there was like a lot of this like, queer which was a great oral history by the way the band played on yeah. is this an oral it's an oral history it is. i didn't know that and that that's worth talking about but go on. okay <laughs> i want i've still never read it um but yeah so i do feel like because the theater was hit really hard yeah specifically like even more so than these cities that kids went to because they were gay and wanted to get out of but Damn. then like going into the theater like so i mean there are people they talk about in the in the oral history that died and i feel like there's so many voices that are missing from the oral mm-hmm. history just because of that like the man who built the wings remember yeah. he had aids and he died and those those stories again like they had the right i don't know if they took the right portions or had the right, right. people talking about them but right. they were so emotional they were so heart-wrenching um, this was not the last book I read that I cried, but I definitely cried. Yeah, I felt things reading this for sure. But it's but you're also one step removed in reading this book because you're reading about people who are affected by a great work instead of reading instead of being affected by the great work right, yourself. Right, right. It's like or you it's can't, two steps. Removed. Yeah, you can't have the play and like. Yeah. And the thing about even reading the play is like, I'm a firm believer that plays are written to be heard. Right. Obviously, because it's a play. If you were gonna, if Tony Krishner wanted to write a book about. AIDS and HIV, I'm sure he could do that, but he chose to write a play, like something that you see and experience. So I think it's even still hard. Mm-hmm. And I like to read plays, but it's hard because you have to kind of like imagine yeah. and comprehend and like, how does this sound? It's a different that. experience. It's a different experience. Yeah. So this, I think that's what makes the book hard is like, mm-hmm. it's those two degrees or two and a half or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's a few, it's enough <laughs> degrees. Um, that's interesting. I mean, that 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 answers my question. Was Rent, and I'm not familiar with Rent. I've only okay. ever seen a um, like sixth grade production of it. Oh, amazing. Which, obviously, very moving. <laughs> Rent is great. It's is almost, it great? This is what I want. It is. It's almost like infallible. It's like one of those plays. I don't, have you ever heard of Spring Awakening? Of course. Uh, the play, the musical yes. that came out recently. It's kind of like that. I call them museum pieces in the sense that you could plug anyone in who could sing it and the show works. Oh, interesting. Like, there are certain shows where it's like you need great actors. Mm-hmm. Like I think Angels in America is probably mm-hmm. one. Like you need really strong actors. Thing, exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes in musical theater you can get away with mediocre people. But Rent, Spring Awakening, Hamilton probably to an extent. Oh, you'd be surprised. 
You saw bad people? I saw a not great performance. Interesting. The play is still great. Right. Like, that's kind of the thing. Like you shines could have, through, but... Ugh. You could have people who aren't great, yeah. but like Rent, the music is so good in Rent. Like it's, there's so many bops. Like you're just like, yeah, like take me out tonight. Let's go. Like <laughs> woohoo. That it works and the story is good. But the thing that's weird about Rent is that the writer, Jonathan Larson, he died like the night before the first preview or like the out of town, not the out of town, like a right, not even a preview. What is it called? They were doing it like off Broadway and he died before the first preview of that. So long before it ever went to Broadway. So my big thing about Rent is like most shows go through a lot of rewrites Mm -hmm. and a lot of editing and songs get pulled. And I don't know how much of that they did because of the sentimental feelings of the, uh, the writer having died. So Rent's great, but Rent's probably 30 minutes too long. That's really, I will say I actually prefer that. And it's something I liked and made me want to see a production of Angels is like, it doesn't sound perfect. And that makes it perfect. Right, right. You know, like I want to see the seams a little bit in any great work of art. Right. Um, And I think it has that. And they they talk about it too. Yeah. And like, I don't know that this scene works, but it's in there and Tony wants it in there. So it's in there. And we make it work as best we can. But some actors are up to the job and some are not. Some are not. I don't know. That stuff I found really fascinating. Yeah, like how the thing gets made. Yeah. Yeah, so Rent is really good and it works. And like basically anybody can be in it if you can sing it, like sing the right part. But it's not perfect because they didn't really rewrite it, to my understanding, very much. Oh, that's interesting. And it's not – it's like a little more uplifting. But Mm -hmm. in the same way that – not a, I guess, spoiler kind of, um, that angels that prior lives, mm-hmm. Mimi lives and she has agents. She's supposed to die and she goes and she actually sees an angel and they tell her, go back and live. So like that feels very angels in America. E yeah. now that I'm saying it, and I never <laughs> thought that before, but, but it's clearly in, influ- I mean, how could yeah. it not? Be? But I think that was important, right? Like that yeah. the play needed to reflect like some hope because it was written in such a dark time. Like they start, mm-hmm. he started writing it in like 86 or 88 or something. I think even earlier, yeah. Earlier. The first part, maybe the first reading was 88 yeah, at the Eureka or something like that. So like that was like, that was before any drugs were working. That was like, if you got HIV, you were dead soon. And he wrote this play that basically said, well, maybe not. Did someone in the book talk about that aspect of hope in it? They did talk about it. Yeah, hope was in it a lot, Um, and that that like it was important to Tony to to have that because it was like I don't know it was like a really bleak time. Like I don't I don't think you could I don't think we could reinforce that enough. Like yeah, nineteen eighties nineties in the theater in Hmm. San Francisco. They produced it in San Francisco, L.A., and New York. Like I mean, in Cleve Jones's book, he talks about like the first thousand dead, and that it was like. 2,000 people like a year were dying in San Francisco alone, but also mostly right here in the Castro, you know, like when they talk about people dying in the streets, yeah, like like, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. One of the things that they talk about in the show and then kind of comes up later is Lewis who leaves prior. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was like kind of a debate. I don't know if you remember, but there was a debate about if that was real, realistic, because Mm -hmm. so much of, you know, the gay identity around HIV was that 
you know, you couldn't come out to your family or you hadn't come out. So you kind of ran away to go live your life in another city. And then you get sick and you have no family because they're not there and they don't know about you. And the people who took care of you were other people who were also dying Mm -hmm. or close to dying. And that he made this choice in the play to have someone who turned his back on it. And if, I think there was like a historian who said, this didn't happen. That did never happen. And then Kushner's like, I know two people who did it. Right. And they weren't as great as Lewis. They were like even trash. He called them trashy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, they were trashier than Lewis. But that like, because, and I think we have this now. I know I have this. Where it's like, you want to see the representation of othered people as good. Because you don't want the mainstream to talk shit and be like, right. gay people are leaving their lovers. Right. So like that there was this feeling of like Tony Kushner was doing bad yeah. by the gay community. And I think, I think this came from the book too, that I think what he, something he did that was so smart was Lewis wasn't the only gay character. So he didn't have to represent every mm-hmm. gay character. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he wasn't carrying that right. weight. So he could be deeply flawed. Right. And make this decision right off the bat. Right. To leave his partner. Right. Um, because Pryor was is another gay character. Right. Uh, and Joe is another gay character. Right. Like they could have these different shades and they can actually be people. Right. And if you have a character who just has to be like this perfect Angel, right. for lack of another word. There you go. Um, that's not good drama. Right. Like the play wouldn't work if you had that guy. Right. And I right. think Pryor is flawed and Joe is clearly flawed. Yeah. And, you know. They all are. Right. I mean, that's that's good drama. That's Drama's the conflict. thing. Yeah. And, and they talk about, I think it's one of the Belize's says this, maybe mm-hmm. Freeman, I think. I, I like know everybody's last name, you know, because I'm like, oh, Freeman. He says that in any other play, Belize is like the token character because yes. he's like the black gay guy drag right. queen, but that everyone in Angels is the token of another play. Yeah. Like that Roy Cohn is the that. token of, you know, the the witch hunt play. What yeah. are they? Not the witch hunt. What was that? <laughs> McCarthyism. <laughs> like, what's it called? Like the, you know, and that the gay Mormon is the the token in book of Mormon and like, you know, and so I think that that's part of it is it's like, these are all these weird kind of like fringy stereotypey people. You're taking the side characters and making them, making them the main characters, giving them full lives. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's like the, the great humanist triumph of the play. Right. It's what Kushner clearly does. The best is bringing human, even the angel. Yeah. Is so deeply flawed yeah. and confused and like, mean. It's so neat. Yeah. She's mean in the yeah, play. She's like, a I'm dick. like, woo. <laughs> like, I don't, what if an angel came to your house and was like, fuck you, get out? Like, and, and Emma Thompson is great in the movie. She's as great. The angel. Like, that, the, that performance hit what they were talking about in the book home for me in a way that no conversation in the book mm. about the angel yeah. to hit home. The angel was the hardest character that they talked about in the book to yeah. understand. But what I did love, how kind of after, I guess, starting in the second act of the book, the book was broken down in five acts. The second act, every other chapter, they would do like a deep dive into the character and they'd have like basically everyone who ever played the character and any of like the major performances talk about it. I really love that. So cool. I want that for every book about a play. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I want to hear that because it was like a, masterclass in acting yeah. from like the greats. And then it reminded me how many amazing people had their hand in this show totally. at one point or another, like Meryl Streep. Yeah. When they talked about but household the Harpers, names and not household names, yes, like it's real really theater mean. people. When they talked about the Harper, yeah, it was like Deborah Messing. Oh, that's right. Um, Mary Louise Parker, 
Marsha Gay Harden. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me with the this? The Marsha Gay Harden stuff was so interesting. Yeah. I don't know, for a lot of reasons. I don't think of her as like a Harper in my mind. No. But she was her on Broadway, yeah. which I never knew. And her way into the character. The wig. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so much weird actory stuff, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't always love reading about. I usually the hate reading acting, about acting. But this stuff was really interesting because, again, they're such complicated characters right. that you have to find a way into. Right. Oh, and um, I forgot another yeah. Harper. Um, Kazan, Elia Kazan's. Daughter, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever. Zoe, Zoe Kazan. Kazan or whatever. Yeah. 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 Like, Which that's the performance I would love to see. I would love that was at the signature in 2010. Yeah. And I was in New York and I don't even remember them doing it, but Adam Driver was in that yeah. one. Also, that's the show that I'm like, that's the one. I meant to look, but apparently there's I think PBS did a thing oh, on really? that. So there's some it, probably not of it. the whole play, but there's okay. there's stuff from it that I'm dying yeah, to see. That's the one I'm like, I didn't know that Adam Driver was that good of an actor. No. But so he's gonna be in Burn This on Broadway, which my college roommate is in, and it comes out in March. And I messaged my my roommate and I was like, huh? Is Adam Driver really good? And he was like, He's phenomenal. I was like, Did you know he was in Angels? And he was like, <laughs> he was like, Yeah, he's really a good actor. And I was like, Okay. Why don't you get him for the podcast? I well, when I have to go to New York and do it. I'm gonna exactly. be like, Adam, I didn't know you were a good actor. Want to talk about it? <laughs> Turns out you're a good actor. Turns out, tell me about how good you are. Because I just Kylo found that. Ren. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't think of him as being like a serious stage actor. No, that's fair. I mean, I think that's true of a lot of these guys who yeah. pop up throughout. That's like true. Jeffrey Wright. Well, right? he so was like a stage actor. Stage. See, I know him yeah. as Belize. Like, that's like one of the first things I knew that he ever did. I know him as Basquiat. I also know him <laughs> from Hunger Games. He's in Hunger Games. He's like the watch guy. He like does like the watches. He's great. He's also on like Westworld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like a serious theater actor. He's like a Shakespearean actor, like the whole thing. I know that. Yeah, he's like the real deal. But um, there's just so like so many incredible people have been in this, which speaks, which is like in and of itself an endorsement of the play. I I think so. I don't Um, think you get people to sign on that you get such for 25 years. Yeah. Like maybe the first production, it's like got a lot of buzz, but like the fact that Nathan Lane's like, yes, I want to do this in 2017 yeah. in London. Like I want to go to London and do this play. Yeah. And that they get such intelligent actors. Yeah. You know, they, like you said, like it's not just throwing someone into a part and letting the the play do the work. It's right. These actors really did the work. Yeah. Um, And that's. That process was really interesting. You know, yeah. as much as the book wasn't enough for me about mm-hmm. Kushner's process, it was so much about the the playmaking process. Yeah. And that was really neat. And I learned a lot from the book. Like, I learned a lot about writing, even though there wasn't a lot about the process of writing. It right. was so much about what you mean when you write. Right. You and, know? like, what you're trying to do yeah. with the thing. Being deliberate in your choices and and taking risks and writing about something that's important and writing for actors. Like, it taught me a lot about writing for actors. Yeah. For sure. Like, what kind of things did it teach you about writing for actors? It just, like, at the most basic level, and it seems so obvious, but it's easy to forget, give them something to play. Mm-hmm. You know, give them different things to play in different scenes mm-hmm. and track that movement over the course of the play and let mm-hmm. them get somewhere and like give them a thing to play against someone else. And I don't know, like reading about the different actors processes. And I love that the authors had such access to the actors. Yeah. Um, was really instructive. Yeah. I, I liked hearing about people talking about the same thing over mm-hmm. and over in different ways. Yeah. 
I thought that was really interesting too. And the discovery process too, like the early stuff in San Francisco and LA where they, where the play wasn't really written as plays aren't like it wasn't written, but this right. seemed to go on for a long time. <laughs> it was like, Oh, we have, we've started the show and then Tony finally brought us an act. Yeah. It's like what? Let me ask you this as a writer. Cause they talk about how some of the parts were written for specific actors, mm-hmm. like from the beginning, like the angel was written for this woman, mm-hmm. Sigrid who passed away of cancer separate, but yeah. still devastated devastating to this group and that Steven Spinella was the inspiration mm-hmm. behind Pryor. And have if you have written for an actor, how does that change when the actor changes? Or does it change? When there's a different actor? Yeah. So like you write a TV, I guess not TV is not the It right is frequently thing. better. Frequently better when the person is out and a yeah. different person goes in. Because it means, and we had this a lot with the Thrilling Adventure Hour mm-hmm. where we would write with someone in mind and then we weren't able to get that person so we get someone else. And because you wrote with someone in mind, you have a very specific voice on the page. Mm. So when someone and and if like, you know, we wrote like for Dave Foley. Okay. Um, and if Dave had done it, it would have been great, but it would have been exactly what we imagined. And and we would have been so happy with that because every joke would have been delivered as perfectly right. as it was. Exactly in our heads. what you wanted. But when you get someone else in that role, especially if they're wildly different, um, everything is a little unexpected for you. Every delivery is a little unexpected and it makes it even better. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because I think like if you were going to see Angels in America, you'd want to see Steven Spinella as prior because he won two Tonys for it and it was written for him. But like you're saying, I I wonder if that, even though you don't get that actor or or the actors Mm -hmm. changed, if some of the way that it's written, like that, that person is still in it. You For know? sure, that because that's that becomes the character. That becomes the right? character, and then you get someone like Justin doing it. Who right. I love Justin as an actor. Yeah, he's and so like, great. He throws away every line. Yeah, even even in those scenes where he's fighting with the angel and right. and yelling at her or begging her. Right, it's so. It's so offhanded. Like, yeah, it's just he's like so delivery. dismissive. It's like below, everything's below yeah. him, which and is like kind of great. Partly Justin, but <laughs> that's like that's how he does stuff. And it's almost non-theatrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're getting this whole other level to the character, which is just his way into right. it, which I, I don't know. It's really, it's fascinating to me. And that character prior, I feel like everyone who's ever done it has won an award. I think that, that he, right? I think he won an Emmy for it. Um, Steven Spinella won Tony's and mm-hmm. so did um, Andrew Garfield, who just did it the most won recent time. He won a Tony oh, for right. it also. Like it's like I one mean, of those. It's an amazing I role. mean, it's a huge role. There was, I just found this note that I had taken where, um, like the, the magic of that role. And I, and I forget who, Oh, it was Ellen McLaughlin who played mm-hmm. the angel in the, the workshops angel. says Tony took an unapologetically gay character, severely ill with AIDS and made him an everyman. Mm-hmm. And like, what an amazing role for an actor, but also a, an incredibly difficult role yeah. for an actor. Right. Cause yeah. you have to play this enormous idea of a person, but also this person. Right. right. And I think that also the thing that's, they talk about this a lot in relationship to Joe and Lewis Mm -hmm. is that Pryor actually gets to be redeemed Mm -hmm. and he gets a happy ending and he goes through a lot of shit sometimes literally on stage, (laughs) but he gets there. And a lot of the other characters don't get that. And I love that too, Mm -hmm. that like that Kushner was saying something about people's choices like good and bad or like good and evil and how their life played out. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, 
He had a world in his brain yeah. in writing this and, yeah. and an understanding of the mu- mechanics of humanity, or at least his take on it, right. that he was able to put on a page. And again, that's the thing I wanted to hear more about. Yeah. You know, like, like how do why you, this or how this? Yeah, how do you dig into yourself and get that on the page? And clearly it was a lot of work for him because it was always new pages, new pages, new pages. Right. But eventually he got there. Right. I'll mention one thing. There were contemporary reviews of the play in mm-hmm. the book, which I thought was fascinating. I love those. I really love that. People who didn't get it at all, people who thought it was, you know, the biggest thing, which it was, um, <laughs> like, but just across the spectrum, different takes on this thing that they had to reckon with, I thought was really neat. Yeah, I, I love, I mean, I love reading reviews of things. Also, just like going back and being like, yeah. what was the review of this like? One of the things that I think is important to talk about is like the role of gay culture in the show and like what it did to American culture or mm. didn't do. One of the stories that I thought was really interesting as a, as a straight man who was straight white guy who was playing prior. And it was, I think it was at ACT in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he, like a friend of a friend, he got them tickets and they came. And during the gay, like, sex scene or maybe the full frontal nude scene, I can't remember, they got up and they left. Yeah. And he, like, go, finishes the scene, goes off stage, and he goes to the Belize, who's a gay black man, and is like, I get it. He's like, I don't really get it because right. I'm a straight white guy. Yeah. And he's he does say that he does say he's I like he's like he's like I get he well, he starts it with I'm a straight white guy <laughs> and I know that I'm not this and I know that I'm right. not that but it was the first time in my life that I got it in that way that like someone was so disgusted by my that I disgusted someone and I thought that that was really like a powerful thing yeah. because that's what the play does not just for the audience but also for the actors like anyone who comes in contact with the show is like experiencing their own prejudices and their own icky things. Like I, I'm like, I hate to admit this, but I'm like, I'm probably a Lewis. I don't really like sickness. Like I'm not good. Like when people get sick, like I'm not the person who shows up. I'm like, can I set, can I Venmo you? Like, can I send you a Postmates? I'm just not, I'm not good with that. Yeah. But like reading the play being like, oh God, everyone would hate me. I have to just show up even though I hate sickness. (laughs) It's so gross. But, and then they also talk about how, um, as a result, this is towards the end, as a result of the show, gay culture became more American, mm-hmm. but American culture did not become more gay. Mm-hmm. And I thought, fuck, that was a mistake. Yeah. American culture should have done better. We should well, sure. have done better, right? Like, I think we can say that kind of across the yeah, board. Yeah, <laughs> but like to hear it, yeah. put, like this show was such a big deal. Everyone yeah. was seeing it. Like it was on tour. It was being produced all the time. And like that none of what we learned in the show brought gay culture. I hate to say assimilate because that's not what I mean. And no. assimilate is the wrong word. But that like it it made more mainstream or like more comfortable for people to be around. You sit through right. eight hours of theater and you still then see a gay person and you're like, ugh. Yeah. You know, like that's fucking sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, like you would think the impact of something like this and, and I think it's there. Like, I don't think we have drag race without this play. Sure. Of course. You know? Of course. Like, of course. I think because it was both bold and artistic and popular, you know, it's 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 unavoidable mm-hmm. that people have to say, 
have to look outside themselves and recognize that there are people not like them in the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, we touched on this last week, but like, this is what art does. This is what right. great literature does is at the very least, it makes you recognize that other people are people, but a watershed piece like that can only do so much. Right. And it was already, and we talked about this before, it was the closing in of the religious right. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, coming into the years of conservatism and, and like you can only, these changes are so incremental and right. it's so frustrating and you want like a work to break the ground and open up this chasm that people <laughs> fall in and everyone is equal right. and, and, and you can't like it. Instead, it's just a shipping away and shipping right. away and shipping away. Ben Brantley says that towards the end of the book, he says he's talking about Hamilton and something else. And he's like, people said like, this is groundbreaking and it changed a game changer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know how much these things actually change any games, which yeah. is like Ben Brantley, the theater <laughs> right. critic at the New York times, like what an asshole. Bit, he's like so crabby. And, but, but, and he's right. Do, but I mean, he's, he's right to an extent because they do like, there are, there's certainly a generation of people sure. for whom angels in America was just inconceivable. Right. Five years before. Truly. And they could live in their bubble and not have to think about the world and other the way that people who are not like them live. Right. And I think and I think Hamilton does do that too. And I sure. think, you know, there are a number of works that get to do that. Yeah. Um I think that like the phrase game change implies that like everything changes. And I yeah. think that the correct answer is like maybe it's like a rule change. Yeah. You know, like in baseball, it's like you can only take this long on the mound. Now. Well, and it and it takes a long time to move a battleship. Right. Like that's yeah. what it comes down to. And I think we hear that a lot these days mm-hmm. and that things are changing and so many people want things to change, but right. we're so entrenched in the old ways, like right. for 250 years at least <laughs> right. that, that it's just going to take so much time. And, yeah. and all of us are like, no, we're already there. We can do it. Yeah. We know we can do it. I and my friends are like, now. It. Yeah. yeah, but you know, we have to wait for a generation to die out <laughs> and not teach their kids anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to your kids for the next 10 years. We need to help them. We need to help them see other people's humanity. We need humanity. to show them a number of plays. We yes. need to have them read a few books. I would love to do a study abroad with your kid, please. <laughs> for at least 10 years, they can live with me and I will help them learn about gay people and queer people and black people and Asian yeah. people and just people, you know. Well, it's, I mean, again, we, we talked about this last week, but like there's such a lack of empathy in mm-hmm. the world right now and when you read about something like Angels of, in America where people were forced to empathize yeah. or be seen as villains. Right. He like bullies people into empathy, yeah. which is I'm down for that. Absolutely. I'm like violence free bullying <laughs> towards can, empathy. If you can create a thing that's so moving yeah. that it causes people's point of view to shift. Right. Like that you see enormous. humanity in a different yeah. way. More of that. Yeah. More I mean, of can that. we like... Look, on a basic level, the more stuff like that people are putting out there. Like I watched Eighth Grade this weekend. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's great. Oh, my God. I watched a lot of horror movies last year. This was the scariest thing I watched. (laughs) (laughs) Teenagers. Yeah. Well, just being taken back to that time because if like if you can be honest in your art and you can be real in what you create, Mm. then you're letting people experience that with you, with your characters and it changes, it can change the way people think. Well, okay. We have 
Just two more little things to talk about. One of them is the title and one of them is the cover. My favorite things to talk about. We talked about the title. Yeah, you can't, I can't remember, remember it. it. So the title the is world, called The World Only Spins Forward. Only Spins Forward. And it's a line from the play. I think Pryor says it. But so I, you guys will have heard this already, but I talked to Isaac Butler and I asked him about the title and I said, you know, is was this always the title? And he said, always, always, always. But I felt like another title could have been More Life. Because that's the thing that Pryor begs the angels for. He says, more life, more life, more life. And for whatever reason, I have been thinking about more life all the time. Like sometimes I get anxiety a little bit. And sometimes like when I don't want to do things, I've been like more life. Like it's not if it kills you, it kills you. But otherwise, more life, like keep going. So I kind of felt like that. It's a little it's a little like (sighs) I think that's that's a great title. First of all, I like more life. And it's a great lesson it's a great lesson yeah. so in the notes of the play in the acknowledgement section tony kushner talks about more life and he says that he's so he's deeply indebted to this person for which helped him like come across and he translates the hebrew word for blessing as more life and that's hmm. what led so like when when prior is talking to the angels and begging them for more life in another world in Hebrew, he's saying like, bless me essentially. So I thought that was like kind of interesting really and it cool. stuck with me. Um, it's a much better title. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I like the title here cause it, it feels like kind of like, cause the play moves through time. Sure. I mean the book moves through time. It's a mouthful. Though. It's a mouthful. Totally. hundred percent. What about the cover? I don't know uh, if you've well, seen this, it in the uh, hard yeah, copy. I hadn't seen it cause I read on Kindle. Right. Um, I think it's really cool. Um, I think like I'm so familiar with the with the poster parting. for the play, yeah, yeah that parting, angel artwork. picture. Um, that this is a neat take on it, yeah. You know, like it is very much about the making of it. It's right. the nuts and bolts version of it. This it's is the original. Um, I think the taper, or no, in San Francisco, the Eureka Angel. Oh, Those wow. are her wings, and they. Isaac told me that they went, it's at a museum in San Francisco and they went like in an archive and they went and got it and they like staged this picture. Oh, neat. Yeah. That's so, really cool. Um, I think yeah, it's there beautiful. Were, are there photos in the book? Yeah, there's photos in the I'll book. I'll have to look at this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah, I didn't get any. No photos. Or I couldn't really see the see photos. them, right. They're not great photos, a lot of them, but I did love, I think this cover is like, it was one of my favorite covers of books, mm-hmm. I think that I've seen in the last year or so. It's just it's really great, beautiful. And I yeah. like the pink I do too. I was I just really thinking like that. the paint. I think it stands out. It's also representative, obviously, mm-hmm. but and know, it's not it's, too heavy handed. It's not like too, no. it's not like a pink triangle or something <laughs> right. terrible. No, it's a, it's a nice looking book. Mm-hmm. Um, that might've actually, the cover might've is why it might've been on my radar. Yeah. And then a couple of friends had read it and recommended it, but they're both theater people. So. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I'm interested to hear from listeners what they think of the book as not, if they're not theater people. Mm-hmm. I think a theater person will have feelings about it one way or the other, but I'm curious about people who pick it up who aren't like, like you aren't as familiar with the work at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's certainly valuable yeah. and it's, it's especially interesting as a, as a book for how to put on theater, yeah, how to make like a the show very many ways into a play and how much you really have to think about that and what a director means and like all that stuff I thought was 
absolutely fascinating. It wasn't about the part of the creative process that I'm particularly right. Interested. The writing part of it. That's so I have to get him for my podcast. Now. Yeah. Let's get Tony Kushner. Yeah, I'll get sit Tony him Kushner. down for oh two hours. He'll, sit, he'll keep you there for seven. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, anyways, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I think we covered it. I think we did too. Thank you so <laughs> much, Ben. I'm linking to all of Ben's accounts and his podcast and all the amazing stuff that he's up to in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out and um, go read the Tony Kushner things if you haven't yet and the Dan Coyce and the Isaac Butler and read everything. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And we'll see you guys in the sacks. Thank you all so much for listening today. And thank you again to Ben Blacker for being our guest. Thank you to Bloomsbury and Sarah Mercurio as well. Remember to get your book recommendations read on the air. Email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to the show and awesome perks, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. For one-time contributions, check out paypal.me slash The Stacks Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 